If you have your uh, scriptures and you want to turn them on on your phone or you want to turn there in your actual paper copy of the Bible, go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you didn't bring one today with you or you can't get it on your phone, when we get to it, it'll be up here on the side screens. That's where we're going to camp for a few minutes. But first, I want to take you to what is perhaps one of the most important passages in the Bible, at least for churches it is. Matthew chapter 18 is one of the most important uh, passages in the Bible. Actually, that should say 28, Matthew 28. It's 28, 18, not 18, 18. So uh, that's my mistake. I'm looking up here. I can see what's coming. Um, So when we get there, it's Matthew 28. It's one of the most important passages in the Bible, even though in a typo, hurried way, I uh, put the wrong one up there. It doesn't really say it's most important when I make a mistake like that, does it? Hmm. Must be Freudian. All right, so Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, one of the most important passages for churches because it gives us Jesus' final words to churches. Gives us Jesus' final words to churches. And so the idea here is very simple. If they're his final words, his last opportunity on earth to speak to churches before he goes back to heaven, after he's given his life on the cross and been resurrected from the tomb, then they probably are important. He probably has thought about what he wants to say. They probably carry a certain amount of weight to them. In fact, they're so important that we've given them a certain title in most Christian churches called the Great Commission. This is where Jesus looks at his followers and says, here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to do. And so he says to them in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, we, his followers, should go into all the world. But he begins it with stating why it's okay for him to say this. So in Matthew 28, 18, he says, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And I keep coming back to this passage because we're a church. And we want to make sure that we're not just doing our thing. We're doing the thing that God wants us to do. Because the only way you are helped, the only way I grow as a follower of Jesus, the only way our church stays on track is making sure that what Jesus told us to do, we're actually doing it. And we've been talking about having unshakable faith. How do you stand strong? How do I stand strong when storms of life howl against us? It's a very important topic for us to talk about because it could be said that the whole reason the church exists is to help people grow in that kind of faith, a real faith, not a pretend faith, not a faith where we put on our Sunday best and we plaster on a smile and we learn a few verses and we buy coffee mugs with Bible verses on them and we wear t-shirts with Bible verses on them so that people think we have a faith. That's not the kind of faith that churches are trying to get into the lives of people. It's not the kind of faith that helps you stand strong when storms of life blow against you. The kind of faith that we are trying to cultivate is a faith that runs deep to the core of who we are that's present when the bad times are going on, that works, that stands the tests, that is functional in our lives. And that doesn't happen by accident. It takes effort. It takes a certain amount of being willing to grow. It doesn't get deposited into our lives in a moment. It gets worked out over time. And so one of the things we've been talking about is the only way to have unshakable faith is to have your faith shaken to the core and you stand the test of time. You go through something and on the back end of it, you realize not only did you make it, 
But God was present in the middle of that. And God was present in a way that even though it seemed dark at times and you didn't know if you were going to make it and there were difficult things and you don't want to go through it again, even though all that's true, God was present and you actually grew through it. It's the kind of thing that makes a character in the Bible like Joseph look back on his life and say this to his brothers who had betrayed him. We're going to kill him. It decided instead to sell him into slavery and make some money off of him. But either way, they were going to get rid of him. They didn't want him. And later on in life, when he confronts his brothers, he looked at them at the end of this horrible experience. And he says to his brothers, what you meant for evil, here's the faith that stands the test. What you meant for evil, God used for my good. And this is the testimony of dozens of you in this room already. You have had almost unspeakable things happen, things that should never have occurred. You've had incredibly difficult things happen. But some time has passed, and you stuck with it. And you can look back and say, I wouldn't choose it again. It wasn't good, but God used it for my good. How does that happen? How do you build a faith like that? How does the church come alongside and help you do that? I mean, why was God given this gift to the earth called the church anyway? Why did he do that? Well, it's in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, that we begin to discover some of the clues for that. I don't know if you know how your Bible's structured, just real quick. Some of you, this will be review. But you have an Old Testament pre-Jesus. You have a New Testament that begins with his birth, approximately, right around the events of his birth. And then in the New Testament, you have Jesus and his birth and his life. And then you have all this stuff after that where people are writing about the impact of Jesus. So you have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And then there are writers writing about the impact of Jesus in all these various life categories. The big one there is the Apostle Paul. In fact, when we get to 2 Timothy chapter 4 today, it's going to be Paul's writing to Timothy. That's why it's called Timothy. It's his second letter. That's why it's called 2 Timothy. All right, it's his second letter, and he's writing to this pastor talking about the role of the church and helping people build an unshakable faith. So up to this point in this message series, we've been talking about the various ways for you to experience and grow in unshakable faith. Some things you can do when you can't change circumstances when you can't escape the challenge, what can you do then? We've been talking about that. If you haven't been here, you can go online and listen to that, all right? Today, what I want to do, I want to pull back the curtain a little bit and, and help you understand one of the ways that God's given you the ability to grow in unshakable faith. And the way he's given you to grow in unshakable faith dovetails beautifully with the mission and vision of any local church doing it at all what Jesus has called us to do. Now, in this great commission, go into all the world, there's a very important phrase that Jesus speaks to his followers. And rather than just like jumping into it, I, I want to kind of state it from in, an, in an indirect way. So, followers of Jesus, here's our statement, followers of Jesus, we are not called to be disciples, we're called to make disciples. This is a big distinction, because when Jesus was standing on earth just before he goes back to heaven, his last words, he doesn't say, here, my followers, go be disciples. 
This concept of unshakable faith speaks directly to our role as individual disciples of Jesus. That's important. There is a truth when when we could say that God has called everybody to be a disciple. There's a certain truth to that. But that doesn't match what Jesus actually said. What Jesus actually said in his last statement to his followers wasn't be the great disciples. He was much more pointed. He said, here's what you have to do. You have to go make disciples. And it's in the difference between being a disciple and making disciples that I believe our faith has the greatest opportunity to become unshakable, to grow deep, to put down deep roots, the kind of roots that holds the tree solid when the winds of life are blowing. The Bible gives us this great picture that our faith, our relationship with God, our life with him should make us like trees planted by the water whose roots grow down deep. It's healthy and vibrant. And though the winds blow and the storms come, that tree can stand because its roots are down deep. And the key to that, I think one of the keys at least, is wrestling with this tension between being a disciple personally which is important, we need to do it, but wrestling with that versus what Jesus actually called us to do, which was make disciples. And I want to tease that out a little bit in Paul's words to Timothy. Timothy was a young man in our Bibles. He was a very young man. And and Paul speaks to Timothy and says, listen, you are a disciple. You're a follower of Jesus. It's important for you to be a disciple. But that's not all that you are. You're not just a lone island living for Jesus by yourself. God says, I've put you in a community where you have influence. I've put you around people. And so while you are important, make sure you get what you need. Beyond you, there's a whole community of people that God's interested in. And this community of people We've talked about it a lot around here, can be messy. It can be encouraging. We, we talked to a couple parents today about how encouraging it can be in the life of a church to have people come alongside you and be your extended spiritual family. Every week of our Unshakable Message series, I've talked to you about the power of having brothers and sisters in Christ come alongside you. So Paul says to Timothy, you are part of it. So here's the point. The forces God uses to build our faith, your faith, are present every time we invest ourselves into the spiritual development of others. The forces God uses to build our faith are present every time you and I choose to invest in the spiritual development of others. Think about this for a second. When we are a part of a community of faith and we are being disciples but we're living under the tension that God has called us to make disciples, we have an opportunity to grow in our faith deeper and stronger. Think about those forces for just a moment. When when we're in a messy community, God's present because his Bible tells us that wherever two or three are gathered in his name, he's there. Messy people are present We have the enemy of our soul lurking around trying to destroy people. Maybe you, you may be going through that right now. You have God, you have people, you have the enemy. You have real life struggles. 
You have your own, the Bible calls it your flesh, this part of you that wars against God's agenda inside of you. So there's an enemy outside, there's a flesh inside that wars against the thing inside of you that says, me, 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 me first, I want mine. So you have God, you have messy people, you have real life circumstances, you have an enemy outside, you have the flesh inside. All the forces of life are coming to bear in every environment where people are gathered. And God says, I put you in a place just like that so that you could grow deeper in your faith. Part of the challenges of walking with God is that you have to live life with other people. And some of you have experienced this in your marriage. You're serious, like right now you want to grow in your faith. You're highly motivated and your spouse doesn't seem to be. And you know, I don't know all that God wants to do there. I don't know all that he wants to do. But I know this. I know that part of what he wants to do is he wants to use that very dynamic to help you grow deeper in your faith. Some of you are in a work environment that seems to have anything to do, that seems to have nothing to do at all with life with Christ. People are mean, business is shady, whatever. And so you go there Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, whatever, and you go there and you're thinking, how does this? I don't know all that God wants to do, but I know he wants to use that very environment to help you grow in your faith. All the necessary dynamics are present. God's there because he's with you. Other people are there. Messiness is there. There's an enemy outside. There's your own flesh crying for you to get your way and to become your own leader, your own God, as if it will prop yourself up as your own idol. And all those forces are there, and God wants to use all that to grow us. So Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 about that struggle, about the struggle of being around other people in a messy environment and how that can grow faith. So he says to Timothy these words, and we're going to just slowly work through them, okay? He says, I charge you. So Paul, I charge you, Timothy. And then look, look at how seriously he wants Timothy to take these words. Like, I charge you. So like, I'm instructing you. I'm giving you marching orders. They're your charge. We, we used to use that word as, a, as if it was, here's your assignment. This is your charge, right? I charge you. And then, and then he like layers on layers of important language. So in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, in case you don't know who Jesus is, who is the judge, who is to judge the living and the dead. So this is not just about here and now. This has eternal implications, all right? And by his appearing and by his kingdom. So, Timothy, I'm getting ready to tell you something important, something I want you to know. It's about your assignment. It's about how God's going to grow your faith. It's about how God's going to work in the life of the church. It's about how when messy people get together, here's how God works. And just so you take me seriously, I'm talking to you from God, from Jesus. Remember the Jesus I'm talking about? The guy who impacts the living and the dead, the guy that showed up, and the guy who's bringing in his kingdom. So this is a big, big deal. He says to Timothy, preach the word. Now, we have to talk about this for a second. Because when people read this passage in Timothy, many of them know this. If you didn't know this, let me catch you up. Timothy is a pastor. He's a young pastor. And so you would expect a leader uh, who's speaking to a pastor to say something like preach. But this word preach is interesting because it's taken on a, a connotated definition in our culture. What I'm doing right now, you'll call preaching. And it, and it is. It is. 
But the word preach really has a, has a more broad-ranging implication. The word preach, here's probably a better, at least a more precise way of saying it. It, it simply means to proclaim. Proclaim. Timothy, you need to proclaim God's word. Now, the challenge in this text is to understand what is unique to pastors and what's applicable to every person in God's church. I'm suggesting to you that the passage we're going to unpack for the next couple minutes isn't just for preachers. It's to every person that Jesus looked at and said these words, go into all the world and make disciples. You're to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you're to teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. That's what it says in Matthew 28, 18. That commission from Jesus is broadly applicable. All of us who are following Jesus have the commission of Christ on us to proclaim the words of God. I have a particular role on Sunday mornings that impacts my week. I set aside lots of time, make sure I always come up here prepared with something to say, something I've prayed about, thought about, usually talked at length with my staff about. So we're doing it not just out of my head, but it's happening in a, in a kind of a community discussion. But beyond that, you have a role. And this role that you have and I have to proclaim God's word to those around us in these messy environments in which we find ourselves, it's intricately connected to your stability of faith. It's intricately connected to whether or not your faith actually grows deep. Because remember, we're not called to just be disciples. We're called to make disciples. That's what the Great Commission actually says. So Paul's teasing this out with Timothy, and he says, here's how you're going to do some of this. You're going to have to proclaim the word. And then he says, be ready in season and out of season. Let me tell you about this thing about preaching the word in season and out of season. It's not all that complicated. It simply means that God's going to put you in environments where you're actively thinking, I have an opportunity here to impact other people. And then he's going to put you in environments where you're not actively thinking that. And when everything else in life is going to be over top of that. But both in season and out of season, you and I are going to have opportunities to speak God's word in the middle of messy situation where God is present, people are present, there's an enemy of our soul outside, there is the struggle of our flesh inside, and all that dynamic is at play, and we have an opportunity both when we think we have an opportunity and when we don't think we have an opportunity to speak words of life and healing, God's words in the middle of that situation. And as we wrestle with this, it has a dramatic impact on the quality, the tone, the depth, the maturity of our own faith. Proclaim the words. Here's what I've discovered. It's when I read the Bible, God's word, I don't just read it, it reads me. When I read God's word, it reads me. Here's something else I've discovered. When I speak things about God, things from God in environments where I am, where I'm living my life and my life is speaking boldly, it has a way of not just being spoken or lived, it has a way of kind of reading the environment and impacting the environment. It has a way of like a thermostat on the wall setting the spiritual temperature of the environments in which I'm operating. And that's not just for pastors. That's for you as well. 
Paul's going to say to Timothy here, you have to preach the word, but it's simply echoing Jesus' words to all of us, to go into all the world, make disciples, and teach them to obey all that he's commanded. And then Paul's going to slowly begin to unpack this. He says, be ready in season and out of season. Here's something we have to understand. You and I are running a marathon where we are stalked by our enemy and where we're pursued by our own flesh. I don't don't know if you realize this or not, but one of the reasons you have faith challenges and I have faith challenges is we have an enemy of our soul. And here's the picture, and I know it's not popular to talk about it. Here's the picture, that he is a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. God has an agenda, and there's a second agenda. One is meant for your life, and one is meant for your destruction. One is built on truth, one is built on lies. And the image here is that he literally is crouching at the door. He's hiding behind the doorway. When I was a kid, I used to like to startle my brothers and sisters. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a terrible thing, I suppose. They're still scarred by it, but brought lots of joy and laughter to me, all right? So I would hide behind the corner in the dark room, and they'd walk by, and I'd jump out. Ah! Ah! And the, the more, you know, movement you could get out of them, the better, right? Um, one time, my, sister were getting, my sisters were getting ready for bed. They shared a bedroom, and so I crouched down beside the bed, between the bed and the wall where the nightstand was, and when the lights were off, you couldn't see me. And I waited like five minutes. And so it's quiet in the room. And then I just stood up and went, Rah! and both of them Rah! went to dad. It, it was awesome. So that's like funny. We're coming up on Halloween. It's good times. There's a guy in my neighborhood, always hides. And little kids come up. He jumps out. They cry. Uh, something's wrong with him. But I, I should stand there and watch. It's very, I don't know what that says about me. All right. So it's funny. But the enemy of our soul crouching behind the corner, ready to pounce, not so funny. We have that, and then we have this battle in us. And in the middle of that, we're told to run this marathon with God. A marathon in which every single dynamic we need in our lives to grow our faith deep, to experience all that God has for us, to live the life that he's called us to live, it's present. Our enemy crouches, and yet we still struggle on the inside with ourselves so Paul says, you've got to preach the word in an environment like that. You have to live that life out. And your ability to grab hold of not just what you need and be your disciple for Jesus, but wrestle with what does it mean for you personally to make disciples. That tension is a good tension. Because in that tension, we grow. You can outsource making disciples to pastors and church staff, but you won't grow. You can pay for somebody else to do your job, but you won't grow to the degree that God wants you to grow. You're only robbing yourself if you don't wrestle with Jesus' words not to be a disciple, but to make a disciple. Go into all the world and make disciples. That's a commission not to a general group of people, but to every single follower of Jesus. So be ready in season and out of season. And then he gives us a list of words. I just want to talk to you about how powerful the word of God is. It has incredible power in our lives. Be instant in season and out of season. And then he says, here's the way you do that. So here's the first word that's kind of spoken out above us. It's the word reprove. 
Timothy, as you're living this life of making disciples, you're a pastor, Timothy. Most of us are not. One of the ways God's word works is it, it reproves people. It reproves people. And what the word reprove means is a gentle correction. God's word has a gentle correcting effect on people's lives. The other way it, it can be used, it's a, it's a little bit more ancient, but, but it's definitely within the allowable definition of, of reprove, is to bring a certain confidence of the truth of a matter to bear. So you literally prove again, reprove an, an issue. And so the Word of God has this way of bringing a certain confidence. You and I have the ability to both live and speak God's Word in our messy environments in such a way that on occasion it can bring gentle correction. I don't know about you, but my kids are learning because they're getting a little older. They're learning that gentle correction always trumps harsh correction. You know, and as a parent, I like that better when I can just gently say something. Hey, guys, what are we doing over there? Because when that doesn't work, you know what has to happen? I have to turn into my father. And they don't enjoy it, neither do I. Gentle correction is so much better than harsh correction. But beyond that, there are occasions for which I can look at my kids and reprove them this way. You, you can do this. I know you. I mean, you did it here. You did a little bit of it. You, you trumped that thing there. You, God's word has the ability to gently correct. Now, who does it gently correct? You know, sometimes it gently corrects people around us. We all like that. More often, it gently corrects us. We don't really like that. But in the environment where messy people are present and God is present, the enemy of our soul is present, our battle with our flesh is present, all those things are coming to bear. God's word lived out and spoken out can gently correct, and that's a good thing. It grows our faith. It helps us put roots down deep. It builds our confidence in a matter. So reproving is important. Let me, let me take you to Proverbs real quick. You don't have to turn there. It'll be on the screens. Proverbs chapter 3. Look at these words. My son. This is wisdom speaking. God personified in the person of wisdom. My son. Do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. That's connected to reprove, all right? For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. In other words, when you have a relationship of love, there's going to be words of correction on occasion. This is how a parent shows their love to a child. It may seem nice to not discipline your kid and have a friendship instead, but over time you're not loving your kid if you don't discipline them. That's what this proverb tells us. And our Heavenly Father does the same, and He has equipped us on occasion to just live that life that has this gentle corrective effect on our families, on our friendships, on our own lives. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 2, and Proverbs 16, 25, both say the same thing. Repetitive verse, exact words. There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. All of us can operate in deception, and we think we're doing the right thing, but in time, it'll prove itself to be damaging to us. So what force, when that's going on, gently corrects us? It's God's word. It gently reproves. It builds our confidence in a matter. It builds our confidence in the character and trust of God. So reprove. I'm going to get through one more and I'll continue this maybe next week. We'll see. So reprove. Let me, let me give you the next word that he says. There's rebu rebuke. 
So reprove, which is this gentle correction, and then he goes straight for the jugular. Sometimes God's word rebukes people. Now, what this word means is to sharply criticize, to reprimand, to correct with a certain force and energy. This is, this is a tough thing when God's word corrects. Followers of Jesus, let me just ask you for something. Have you ever been like, like in a sermon or in an environment and somebody says something, maybe it wasn't even directed at you, but in that moment you felt God correcting you? So um, for me this happens on occasion. And I'm going to be honest, I never like it. Where, um, you know, I, I, I listen, I'm weird, I listen to, to sermons uh, throughout my week. Uh, from various people all over the country. I got my four or five that I really like. I'm not going to tell you who those are because if you don't like them, then you won't like me and I'm insecure like that. But anyway, uh, I listen to these messages and, and on occasion, I'll be listening and they'll say something and I'll be like, oh, that was for me. Like, not me in an encouraging way, not me in a good way, not me in a way that builds me up, but me in a, oh my goodness, I can't believe I've let it go that far. Now, at first, it always stings. You're growing enough, I hope, already to understand, but that's exactly what you and I need on occasion. We need God's word to spank us on occasion. You know why? Because we live among messy people, and we're messy. We have an enemy outside crouching, wanting to destroy us. We have the struggle inside of our own flesh that says, me, 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 me first, me above God, me above others. And on occasion, we need a sharp correction. So Proverbs 13, 1 says, A wise son, a wise daughter, hears his, her father's instruction. But a scoffer doesn't listen to rebuke. So, reprove, rebuke, exhort. Now we get to the nice stuff. The word of God has the power to exhort. Here's what the word exhort means. It means to try to influence by words or by advice, to give hope, to speak life. So in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, the writer says this, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There is a positive way in which God's word speaks. We all like this. You got the word you needed in service at just the right time when you came to church. That's, that was for me. And some of you, you've even asked me, you know, like you, you made comments. It seems like you were talking right to me. And I just, I just want you to know something. Typically, your wife has been emailing me telling me what no of course not of course not you know what that is that's god's word god's word has the way of speaking life right when we need it that's what that's what's going on there so you get reproof you get rebuke and we get exhorted because we're running a marathon where we're stalked by our enemy and we're pursued by our own flesh from within so god calls to timothy through Paul's words, and he says, look, Timothy, you got to live God's word. You got to proclaim God's word in your life and in your speech because it's powerful in an environment where there are messy people. And Timothy, here's the thing, don't miss it. It's essential to your own growth. It's not just for others. That's not what we're supposed to do. We actually get benefited by it. Now, let me just read for you a few more words that Paul said to Timothy as we just kind of bring this portion of this message to a close. Verse 2, he says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with complete patience and teaching. And here's where, 
he shows us what's the downside of not doing this. Verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. He says there's a time coming when people are going to gather in churches and they don't want to hear God's word. They're not going to submit themselves to God's word. They're not going to endure sound teaching. But instead, having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. I didn't like what he said. Doesn't matter if it's God's word or not. Didn't like what she said. Doesn't matter if it's true or not. I didn't like it, so I'm going to go somewhere I get what I like. I'm going to go somewhere to get what I want. We have itching ears. We're trying to scratch them with the truths that we want to hear. In verse 4, and they'll turn away from listening to the truth, and they'll wander off into myths, untruths, things that they're going to build their lives on that is not going to be stable. But as for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. Next week when we get together, I'm going to unpack those four phrases for you, but let me bring this home for us for just a second. God has designed your faith to grow this way. That on occasion, you get exactly what you need for you, and it's very individualistic. So you come to a message, and you get reproved. Perhaps you get rebuked on occasion. We all love to get exhorted. It's awesome. But that's only part of the dynamic. The other part of the dynamic is is worked out in that gap between you being a disciple and you committing your life and me committing my life to making disciples, which is really what Jesus called us to. And in that, there's just a bunch of messiness. And so part of the way God grows your faith to be stable, to stand the test of time, is that he puts us in those environments so that we... We grow deep roots. You understand, I lived in Florida for a number of years, you understand that it is the blowing of the wind on the young sapling trees and the way it reacts to that that actually causes over time the roots to grow deeper. It's actually the storms that make it stronger. Now, you don't want such a storm so strong that the storm blows over the plant in an irreparable way. But without any storms, the first storm then is always too overwhelming. And this is exactly the dynamic. And so God looks at us and says, here's, here's the thing you need to understand about the challenges in your life, whatever they are. I'm using that very thing right now in your life to grow you. And it changes a very basic question. Here's my final thought to you. It changes a very, very basic question from God. Why did you allow this to happen to me? And we've talked about this enough so far. That's an okay question. There's nothing wrong with that question. It's an honest question. In fact, it even can be a good question. But it changes when you understand this thing that God does through the storm in our lives. It changes it from God, why did you let this thing happen to me as if it's unfair to, to I think, a more helpful question. God, what, what do you want to do in my life through this thing? I don't like where my marriage is. God, what do you want to do in my life through this? What does God want to do in your life if you're going through marriage? God, I don't like what's going on with my parents right now. A lot of you are in the room or you're dealing with aging parents. I'm, I'm in the middle of some of that as well. And God, I don't like this. I don't like it. So, so, so for me, it's, God, what do you want to do in my life in light of this? God, I don't like what happened at the last church I was at. That hurt. It wounded me. I don't like it. All right. All right. That's right. God, what do you want to do in my life as a result of this? I don't like the choices my child is making. Okay, okay. God, what do you want to do in my life as a result of this? 
And, and how do I leverage this for not only my good, but for the good of others? Friends, that tension point is the place that deep faith grows because your faith, God is not trying to grow you so that you can be strong on your own. He's trying to grow you so that as you grow stronger, it has spillover impact on others and you and I then become a part of growing disciples, making disciples, investing in others. And this is the beauty of the local church. This is the beauty of your messy family. This is the beauty of that work environment that God puts you in, as ugly as it is, and maybe you do need to leave, I don't know. But in the middle of it, God can still use it to grow your faith. And so next week, we're going to talk, part two, about exactly what that dynamic looks like. Let's pray about these things in just a moment, but first, would you grab out your Connect card? Let's take a few steps together as a congregation. Here's the, the, the first step that we always take together as a congregation. I, I want to give you an opportunity today to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. If you don't yet have a relationship with him, it's, the Bible says it's actually a pretty easy thing. In one sense, it's easy for you. It costs God a lot. We simply look to God and say, God, I'm a sinner. That's what your word says about me, and I accept that. That's the rebuke or the reproof that I'm accepting today. And I put my faith and trust in Jesus as my pathway to having a relationship with the Father. So if you want to do that, I ask you to check next step A right there on your Connect card and put the, put the card in the offering bucket when it comes by at the end of the service, and I'll communicate with you this week via email, or um, uh, you, you'll also get a letter for us uh, through snail mail from us, and um, it'll explain to you a little bit about what it means to be following Jesus. You're not joining the church, anything like that. And then in a minute when I pray, I'm going to give you a chance to use your own words and look up to God and say, God, would you just save me? Would you become the leader of my life? Here's next step B. Today I'm choosing to be baptized. We had one one young man get baptized last week. And um, it's a beautiful thing when that happens. If you haven't yet been baptized, but you put your faith and trust in Jesus, go ahead and check the box and we'll answer your questions or get you signed up for that. I told you already about next step C this week. It's what small group do you want to be a part of? Most of us, many of us at least, are reading the unshakable book that you can purchase in the lobby for 10 bucks, and it's what I've been kind of preaching out of here. And if you want to do that, go ahead and buy the book, get in a group. It's all right there in your catalog, all right? Or how about next step D? Here's a verse I'm going to throw out to you. It's one I read right there at the end, but today I'm going to memorize 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. As for you, always be sober-minded, enduring suffering, and do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. These are the words we're going to unpack next week, and by memorizing it, you can be fully ready to receive all that God has for you. Now, here's next step B. How about pray this uh, very dangerous prayer? It's one I've been praying a lot lately. It's one I'm praying with my staff, but God, disturb me until I fulfill your call to make disciples. God, grow my faith, disturb me, make me uncomfortable until I'm actively involved in making disciples. Let's pray about this thing right now. Lord Jesus, I want to take a moment and say thank you for your grace and mercy. I want to thank you, God, that you're pretty clear to us about what you're calling us to do. And I want to thank you that while we can acknowledge we have an enemy outside, we have the struggle of the flesh inside, the truth is we have a God who is greater. And there's nothing going on in our lives right now. There's nothing going on in our lives right now that you won't use to grow our faith. Now, Lord, I pray for our 
congregation this morning, for those of us that are choosing to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of our lives, God, help them to acknowledge that they're a sinner, put their faith and trust in you. Lord, I pray for our small groups that are launching, for the steps that people are going to take and they're going to grow in their faith as they get together and look at your word and the power in your word. And Lord, I pray for this church that you would make us incredibly great and making disciples, and that we would not only reach our community, but our faith would grow deep as we do it. I pray it in the name of Jesus, the strong and holy Son of God. Amen. Amen.